You're listening to Politics Weekly. To uh, be big underdogs uh, in the race uh, for the uh, the presidency. One of them is uh, joining me today. We can survive all those systems. What's going to happen if you legalize it completely? Politics Weekly is a podcast on politics, news, and principles. everyone welcome back to politics weekly uh obviously we're continuing to cover some of the uh the recent events involving uh covid19 um obviously it's a tough time for everyone uh joining me today is economist uh eric manson uh mr Ma- uh, eric mason i'm sorry uh mr mason thank you for uh joining me um, so tell us a little bit about your, your work and your profession. Hey, so uh, my, I work in the city of Columbia as a functionary there, an economist and chief analyst. Uh, my background is in labor economics, particularly in uh, asymmetric trend analysis. So I look at two different lines and try to explain why those lines are different. Um, but primarily I focus on macro labor economics, so looking at you know, things like unemployment rate, especially relevant now, job uh, job. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this, because obviously right now COVID-19 is going on. There's a lot of uncertainty about the economy. A lot of people want to know when COVID-19 is done, when everybody can stop self-quarantining, how long will it take for us to sort of see an economic bounce back? from the market side, everybody's concerned about that. Uh, it's a little bit of a two-phase answer. We have some really good data coming out of China. As they uh, seem to be getting over the COVID-19 outbreak, that shows that, you know, within weeks, they were back at 98, 99% uh, production. Now, that's not, that's awesome, and I very much think the U.S. economy will do that. That's still a 1% to 2% GDP decline uh, in, in this best-case scenario. Uh, but depending on how long this drags out, I think that's really what it, what it comes down to. We've seen this extend multiple quarters. Uh, it makes you really hesitate. The longer it takes to, uh, the longer it takes, uh, you know, like to go back to normal for the, um, you know, the average consumer to regain that confidence to leave their house and engage in the economy, the longer the recovery time is going to take once we get back to normal. So I think it's to be seen. Um, I think over the next Friday, you know, May 4th, and a little bit after that, we'll start to really have a good idea of how long this recovery is going to take. Um, now, many people are worried uh, that this could not just lead into a recession, but rather a depression. Um, wh- what do you think are the what do you think is the likelihood of that happening? Um, yeah, it will be very. It, you know, we don't have a lot of data that shows when pandemics turn into economic depressions. Um, even if we look at you know Spanish flu a hundred years ago, um, which you know the roaring twenties occurred immediately after that. Um, I mean, there's there's so much. 
like the world's so different from 100 years ago in terms of production chains and globalization and uh, you know, just one, one way I could command from the economy that we don't want data to guide us to say hey, this is going to cause depression and this isn't. I think the innovation brought on and the rapid adoption of telecommunication and teleworking and this remote working that we're seeing a lot of uh, large firms adopt is going to speed up that recovery. So I'm actually optimistic. I think that this isn't going to drag into a depression or a recession. I think it's more, I'm more concerned personally about stagnation, that we're going to lose that potential growth over time. Um, and obviously, uh, we have a presidential election coming up this year. One of the biggest factors is the economy uh, in presidential elections. Uh, how do you think the economy could affect uh, the upcoming election? Yeah, um, I, I think the economy is always the biggest issue of any, of any election, whether it's a local, state, or national election. Um, so depending on where the economy is by the time, you know, the first week of November rolls around, it's going to have a huge effect, but I also think the response by, because it's been interesting lately, you know, like this historic moment uh, where every decision being made at the federal, state, and local level has these huge impacts. And if anything's new, you know, I kind of look, look back to wartime elections. You know, you know presidents usually don't lose elections in wartime. Uh, you know, they the FBI, along with the longest, you know, longest serving president, was during World War II, and I think World War II had a lot to do with that. said why don't we uh we get into the news uh so obviously um the uh COVID-19 is uh continuing uh to be a a big issue um throughout um right now uh some politicians some major politicians uh, are also um being diagnosed uh, being diagnosed with COVID-19 uh England's prime minister Boris Johnson uh, announced that he had tested positive uh, for COVID-19, um, as did Kentucky Senator, U.S. Senator uh, Rand Paul. Um, both of them are said to have been self-quarantining uh, since being diagnosed. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts on these two men uh, being diagnosed for COVID-19 and all these... Uh, these politicians being uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. It, 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 it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that's hard about pandemics and you know, disease in general is it seems to affect everybody, especially with COVID-19. It seems to affect everybody, uh, no matter what your class, your income level. It's, 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 uh, it's, not, it's uh, not a discreet actor. Um, I think what it does, it makes it more real. I think a lot of times, um, you know, there's the DC the soundbox. You know, the fact that, you know, they're off in this, in the, you know, little uh, southwest uh, corner of uh, the Maryland, the uh, Chesapeake Bay. But, um, so sometimes it doesn't feel real when they deal with, uh, when they deal with a lot of issues. But we have a senator who gets diagnosed with it, especially with a disease like COVID-19 that seems to, you know, it's a communicable disease. So at least 
shake people's hands, interact with the populace. And now that's the one thing they can't do. Um, so I think it makes, I think it makes it a lot, a lot more real to the legislation. I think, you know, you, you look at the CARES Act, um, you know, obviously somebody who voted on it, he's, he's affected by it. And you can be a very real in politics where you're directly affected by something you're voting on. That's not a monumental legislation. Um, politics tends to, you know, uh, legislation tends to be slow, uh, you know, a slow crawl towards a goal. Not something that's needed in this act of this. So from the Ron Paul side, it, 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 it's just interesting. And, uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, both of them have been under self-quarantine. And they, I mean, it sounds like they're doing pretty good. So, you know, hope they both get to be recovery. All right, uh, well, let's move on uh, to the next story. Um, so right now, we reported <clears throat> last week that Donald Trump's approval rating of the crisis was at 60%. Um, however, um, uh, uh, recently, uh, polls have shown a major drop in his approval of COVID-19. Um, a Wall Street Journal ABC News poll now finds that 52% of Americans disapprove uh, of President Trump's handling of COVID-19, while only 45% approve. Um, in spite of this, um, there is an NBC News poll that shows Trump's approval rating is at 50%. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on these poll numbers? Trump has extended his 15 days to slow the spread deadline. Um, initially, Donald Trump um, said that he was considering opening the country back up and opening the economy back up by Easter Sunday. Uh, however, uh, Trump has now said he will extend the deadline uh, to April 30th, saying that the next two weeks could be when COVID-19 peaks. Um, uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is now saying that he thinks, um, that, uh, up to 200,000 Americans could die from COVID-19. Um, 
it is he uh, he says uh, over two hundred thousand Americans could die uh, from COVID uh, nineteen. Uh, what are your thoughts on these uh, these stats and Trump extending the deadline to April thirtieth? Yeah, I mean it, it's going to be hard, especially you know, with our federal style of government. I mean it's really going to be a lot of the governors going to dictate when everything opens back up. Uh, there's a great article in the Washington Journal last week that actually kind of outlined that a little bit, talking about how Trump can say we want everything back to normal April thirtieth, but if states are still and the governors are still they to stay at home advisors and stay at home orders. It's really going to fall on the state level to dictate what this uh, result is, that if we come back or not to normal. On a, like for example, on the Massachusetts, so our governor, Governor Baker, extended to May 4th. So there's no chance, you know, Massachusetts go back to normal before May 4th. Um, and I think that's something Trump's going to struggle with, is that we, we, are not, we are not a centralized government, so it's hard to, you can't tell governors really what to do. Some news about the 2020 Democratic primary. Uh, states continuing to move their primaries back um, until June. Um, right now, um, uh, Bernie Sanders losing momentum in the field. Uh, right now, 538 projects that Joe Biden will win every single one of the remaining Democratic primaries. Sanders refusing to drop out. Um, however, uh, He's now coming fourth on the betting charts, despite being just one of two Democrats left in the field. Um, the betting charts are now putting uh, Andrew Cuomo, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, in second on a list of Democrats that could potentially end up being the Democratic nominee. Um, former Secretary of State in 2016, Democratic no nominee for U.S. President Hillary Clinton, uh, is now has now jumped up to third on the betting charts. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm a big history. I love that history. That history. So when I think that, you know, you see some of the thoughts, I think it was like, uh, you know, you look at all the, you look at some of those dark horse nominations that came out. Uh, you know, you got uh, Pierce and you look at Buchanan, who, you know, got kind of similar pathways to the nomination, which is, I don't know if there's a lot of, uh, I would say there is probably a lot of uh, forever behind Biden, 
But if that fizzles out, especially in this time, this is such a unique time to, to live in, if you become disengaged and you're forced to re-engage at that primary, you know, uh, Como has been on the news a lot more than Biden. And I wonder if that, what is that for the impetus behind these letters going the lines? Is, is the fact that, you know, what's the most, who's the most chronic Democrat on TV every night? It's Como. It's not, it's not remotely close to anybody else. Uh, so, you know, it, I, you know, this moment, I mean, I've been reading stories of how people in other states are turning to Governor Como for their, uh, to, get, to get up to what they feel like is, you know, the up-to-date, most accurate news. Uh, and you can't, you, you can't buy that type of publicity. You, you, the way you handle the crisis, he, you know, it's, it's really gained a national notoriety on a scale that probably outpaces most of the uh, Democratic field that was in the primary. to the next story. Uh, so the Democratic National Convention has been pushed back. Uh, Democratic National Convention has officially been moved uh, to August 17th to August 20th, 2020. Um, as you could probably guess, uh, this uh, has everything to do with the COVID-19 outbreak. Um Democratic candidates also saying, uh, or Democratic Party officials also saying uh, they would uh, like to take precautions, uh, uh, potentially special precautions, uh, to ensure that there is uh, no other uh, COVID-19-related outbreak at the convention when it happens in August. Uh, The convention will be held a week after the Republican National Convention, Um, where it is expected that Donald Trump will officially become the Republican nominee for president. Um, Every convention since 19... uh, 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 It is a long-held tradition, I should say. Um, It's a long-held tradition uh, that conventions, uh, that the party out of power holds their convention uh, after... Uh, the convention of the sitting party. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the Democratic National Committee moving their convention? Yeah, I mean, it's not, as you said, it's not a surprise that they moved it, um, especially these 
I would say. I mean, you could be, you know, if, if growth rates keep going with the way they are, and you've you seen some decline, you know, it's not on the social temperatures rising. It could be really back to normal by, you know, by the summer. Uh, but I think it's smart to take that precaution. I understand that uh, it's probably not, uh, it'll give you the best historical record when you do that, uh, as, you, as you mentioned. But I don't really think they had another option. Uh, especially because the Republican convention is more formality. Uh, whereas the, you know, there's still a lot of, we talked about just a little while ago, there's, you know, there's still a lot of momentum and uh, shifting going on in the Democratic Party. But I think, I think that buys them enough time to continue to fuck out uh, you know, the field a little bit. You know, I know the field's going down to two, but as you mentioned, Clinton and Cuomo uh, you know, still rising up those betting charts. I think the longer the delay is until the committee, uh, the more it secures it for Joe Biden, because the more they give, he already has a national system in place to campaign. So if you're, you should be the official nomination August, he really has, you know, two and a half months before, you know, you have the election. So you gotta go with the guy who already has resources in place, even if he's not the number one of the polls. Um, all right. Uh, well, let's, uh, Let's move on then uh, to the next story. Uh, former Oklahoma Senator Tom Coburn uh, died from prostate cancer this week. Uh, he had a long battle with prostate cancer. He was a former Republican Senator from Oklahoma uh, from 2005 uh, to 2015. Uh, he was largely... Uh, known for his fiscal and social conservatism, uh, as well as, uh, his, uh, as well as him being known for blocking bills in the U.S. Senate, uh, giving him the nickname Dr. No, uh, in the U.S. Senate for blocking all the bills he did. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tom Coburn dying? By the way, he was 72 years old. What are your thoughts on him dying? Yeah. 
was the first U.S. politician to write uh, a bill that was now trying to help, uh, you know, kids who have incompetent individuals who are pregnant uh, have access to medical resources so that the infants wouldn't uh, be born with the disease. So I think we're just, yeah, we're especially in such a polarized political environment that we're in now, I think sometimes things he was a, he was a conservative, there's no getting around that. Um, he was a partisan by nature. But, but I do think there's, it is nice to look back and see, like, some of the did do a lot of good. There were a lot of things that, especially, uh, involved in healthcare, which was some background, it should be a surprise. Um, and he did a lot of good. There is, you know, not everybody's stuck. You're not really concerned with accomplish something like that in their life, so, um, um, all right, let's move on to the next story. I know this is a story you're eager to talk about. Uh, the CARES Act has officially passed uh, through Congress. Um, the, uh, the act covers uh, a number of things, um, financing a number of things. Uh, one of the things uh, is that it gives over $1,000 uh, to some families that are eligible, um, uh, who are out of work, uh, uh, can't pay the bills. Um, of course, there are caveats. If you are a college student, you will not be receiving a check because you are considered a dependent of your parent. Um, this passed in Congress. Um, the one Republican uh, who voted against the bill uh, was Thomas Massey, uh, Republican congressman from Kentucky. Uh, he uh, has come under fire from his fellow uh, co- uh, constituents as well as Democrats for voting against the bill. Uh, Donald Trump uh, blasted Massey in a tweet saying he believes uh, that he should be kicked out of Congress in 2020. Um, Trump says that uh, that Republican, he hopes Republicans retake the House in 2020, but that Massey uh, gets voted out. Uh, what are your thoughts, Eric, on uh, the bill passing? So I'm actually one of those nerdy economists who I, I read through the bill all and, and, you know, a lot of it's boiled point language, but, you know, within 48 hours of that coming into law, uh, I had been through most of it. Um, and I just think it's, it's very interesting. So, you know, it's split up into the two firms, Title One and Title Two, are really, I think, what's important to the average American. So, Title One is the Paycheck Protection Act, I guess you could call it that. Um, that is fascinating. It's $349 billion of covered loans going to small businesses. It's, it's very easy to apply to. It's built to be easy to apply to. Um, and then, and what it covers is as long as you, and then I'm talking real broad, sure, any business is different, but what it really breaks down to is that if you're a small business owner and you don't, get, you don't lay off a good portion of your staff, I think they perhaps you can lay off up to like 25%, but this, again, this can be on for everything. So if you're a business, you have under 500 employees, or a nonprofit, it works for nonprofits too, they'll give you a covered loan two and a half times your monthly expenses between payroll, rent, all that. And they say, if you, you take that, as long as you, and then they defer all the debt payments and defer it for six months. They can be no longer than 10 years, and they can be no higher than 4% interest rate, and the bank that facilitates this cannot charge you a fee. Now, if you do everything right, you keep your payroll current, you, you, you keep your employees all paid, your government will actually come in and buy down that note for you. So you need that most small businesses will not, won't have to pay. Uh, we'll have to pay back any of the money. On top of 
$49 billion. There's another $10 billion in the economic injury and disaster loans, um, which gives, in some cases, almost immediately $10,000 to applicants. Thank you. 
stabilization, but increasing the benefits that are happening. And, this, and I think these additional benefits are really going to help uh, tie over uh, a lot of these people who've been unemployed. Especially if the economy comes right, you know, starts to recover pretty quickly right when this is over. Uh, I think this bill could end up you know, stopping a lot of the negative aspects we are seeing because of uh, COVID-19 in the economy. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, let's move on to the next story. Um, so the next story is involving um, uh, Trump. Trump uh, previously said uh, that he would uh, consider locking down the states of New York, uh, New Jersey, and potentially parts of Connecticut. Andrew Cuomo, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, pushed back on that idea, uh, saying uh, to NBC, to CNN's Anna Cabrera, "quote It would be an act of chaos and mayhem." Uh, he went on to say, "It's the total opposite of everything he's been saying. I don't think it's plausible. I don't think it's legal. A lockdown is what they did in Wuhan, China. We are not in China, and we're not in Wuhan." I believe it would be illegal. As governor, I'm not going to close down my borders. Uh, Trump has since backed down on the idea. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it, 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 is, it is a good point about there's a question, does the president have the authority to lock down a state? Um, you can look at the 10th Amendment, which is iteration of rights to states, saying that like, he does he does it because a lockdown is a state issue. It's not, it doesn't affect another state, therefore it's not an interstate issue, therefore it's not a federal issue. Um, but, you know, with, and I'm far from a constitutional lawyer, uh, but, you know, reading about this, I, I, I think Cobra's probably right in that sense that it's difficult for a president to lock down a state. Um, now, I do tell you, like, we have over, like, there is over in China, that definitely does that, definitely has that authority. Um, the bigger question here is the, the concept of a lockdown being imposed at by any government level doesn't really sit well with a lot of Americans. I think a lot of Americans do have a difficult time saying, supporting the idea that the federal government, state government, or local government can say, no, if you're locked in your house, nobody can go anywhere, nobody can move. Uh, but I think there's a part of the American spirit just doesn't like that. I don't know how dangerous the times are. I think you're going to have a hard time finding Americans who would support that. Um, all right, let's move on then. Uh, so going a bit across the pond, uh, today in England, uh, the a new leader of the opposition uh, has been elected. We uh, previously reported that Jeremy Corbyn would be stepping down as uh, leader of the Labour Party and leader of the opposition after uh, he uh, lost... Uh, after the uh, Labour Party lost in the parliamentary elections uh, last year, last December, um, a new person has been replaced. Uh, Keir Stammer uh, has been officially elected uh, the new uh, leader of the opposition in England. Stammer uh, is uh, a former member of uh, the Socialist Party of England, but he has said that he is a moderate, uh, or he's called himself a moderate in the past. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, see, I, I think England is going through a, a really fascinating era right now. 
Brexit politics? What what is the landscape, the voting landscape, going to look like in this after they've left the EU? I think we're getting our first taste of it. Uh, you know, I think we're getting our first real good understanding of how politics are going to operate after England has essentially re-siloed itself outside the EU, and how those voting cohorts, both uh, either at the individual and at the coalition level, are going to dictate uh, who they want running their, their, their different parties. Uh, so my, my thought on it, and I'm a little bit excited, to be honest with you, um, this, I, I, I love seeing the birth of something, and it is, regardless of your political leanings, it's interesting to see how Britain is, politically is adopting um, adjusting to the post-Brexit political life. Um, I think we're going to see more shake-up. I think we're going to see more moves to moderation um, on both sides, both on the right and the left uh, over there. But you know, it's, it's a little early to tell, but it's definitely a really interesting time to be following. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on then. Uh, Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer um, has uh, pushed back uh, on her uh, proposal to ban hydroxychloride uh, from the state, the malaria drug we're talking about. Uh, she had previously moved to uh, ban it from usage in the state. Uh, she has since uh, uh, rolled back on that. What are your thoughts on that? Joe Biden um, is officially uh, has told the Sanders campaign he will move forward uh, in his attempts uh, to look for uh, a potential uh, vice presidential uh, pick. Um, right now, there are also reports Biden is claiming that he's looking at Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer as a potential running mate uh, for him in the 2020 presidential election. Uh, what are your thoughts? Because uh, 
Uh, John Adams is the reason why the vice president saw a lot of talking stuff, uh, because he talked too much. Uh, so, if you're vice president, I feel more is like you're, you know, you're your biggest advocate. So, to me, I think Biden's going to pick somebody who, who politically lines up with him very, very closely. Uh, but I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if he's going to find it in the, the governor of Michigan. I, I think Klobuchar is probably going to end up being a better pick. Um, all right. Uh, well, let's move on then. Um, so uh, right now, uh, Donald Trump is now authorizing uh, that Americans leave the House wearing masks. This comes after a new revelation uh, that Americans um, can still uh, be uh, can uh, can still contract. Uh, COVID-19, uh, even without, uh, wearing, uh, mask, even, even without, uh, uh, even by just talking, uh, to someone. Uh, so that is why Donald Trump is now authorizing, uh, that 3M, uh, manufacture more masks, uh, for Americans to use. What are your thoughts on this? CEO of MyPillow um, has announced that he will retool uh, 75% of his production uh, towards making uh, face masks uh, to curb the spread uh, of COVID-19. Um, he, uh, uh, he talked about it. He said, quote, it's very labor intensive. Our employee for eight hours, uh, one employee for eight hours can only make 100 to 120 masks. Now we want to ramp up uh, and do about 50,000 a day. Um, what are your thoughts on Mike Lindell uh, doing this? Well, one, I have to give a credit to a lot of credit to this Lindell. I mean, when you're in these times and you're looking to retool at probably very expensive cost, your production lines to help save lives, like your own day now they respect you. I think what this creator speaks upon is the uh, is the success of capitalism. Is the you know one of the greatest benefits America has is 
that we are a society that is based on production. We have an amazing ability to produce things. history. It's amazing what we can produce. You know, you have Chrysler making bombers in World War II. You have, in the military day, you have a pillow manufacturer making masks. And you have a your car company that's going to make ventilators. So it's the ability, this is today, we're getting a great lesson on how America won World War II, is that we can outproduce people. And over the years, I've heard people say this in my personal life, oh, we have all this manufacturing moved over to China. And I was thinking a couple of years ago, advanced manufacturing consortium, and the point I made, and I feel like it's probably still relevant, you know, making cars and making aircraft and making spaceships, is that advanced manufacturing can go back to traditional manufacturing. They can do it quickly, they can do it at a high scale. Other nations don't have food that uh, rely on traditional manufacturing. Can't. They can, you can't go for making cars to spaceships. There's no making spaceships to cars. And I think what we're, what we're seeing right now is that this production driven economy, this, this capital driven economy, is having an amazing response to being able to provide necessary goods in this time. Yes. Are there a lack of PPE? Yes. Are there a lack of respirator masks? Yes. I'm not, I'm not ignoring reality. But those are short-run demand issues that no economic system can prepare for. Under no economic system can prepare for people rushing and buying toilet paper at a scale we see. But guess what? There's no shortage of growth in the United States. We'll produce them. What we're going to see in the next couple months, and I think what we're really preparing for, is the second wave of coronavirus that's very likely to hit in, uh, in the winter. That's what happened with the Spanish flu. Well, if you want to get done in 1918, or if we're done in 1919, is what we're going to do in the next several months is going to be what makes the U.S. economy as powerful as it is. Taking all the stuff we're so good at manufacturing and turning it to life-saving medical goods, we're really going to see how how productive, how much manufacturing really is still left in this country. So I, I look forward to the, to all these CEOs and you know, leaders of industry turning uh, all right uh, well let's move on uh, so uh, uh, Donald Trump has announced that uh, our vice president Mike Pence has uh, announced that President Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner uh, will have who is a senior advisor to the president of the United States uh, will have a major role uh, in the White House Coronavirus Task Force, um, which is directed to work with FEMA uh, on supply chain uh, goods uh, and issues. Um, uh, Vice President Mike Pence said, quote, uh, today you're going to hear from Jared Kushner, senior advisor to the President of the United States, but someone uh, that the White House Coronavirus Task uh, Force deter- uh directed to work with FEMA on supply chain issues. Uh, and in recent weeks, he has been leading a working group in conjunction with uh, FEMA that has identified mil- uh, millions of medical supplies around the nation and around the world. And we're grateful for his efforts and his leadership. Um, some governors uh, right now uh, criticizing um, uh uh, some some uh, people and some governors uh, criticizing uh, the decision uh, to put uh, Kushner in charge of that. Laura Kelly, uh, Democratic governor of Kansas, 
uh, has pushed back against this. Um, uh, she is one of the people that said that she uh, did was not going to take him seriously. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the uh, the uh, on uh, Jared Kushner's role in the White House Coronavirus Task Force? Thank you for joining me today. Uh, before you, before we sign off, do you want to tell people where you can be found? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so first off, thank you for having me on. It was it's, sure. It's, uh, it's, very, it's very nice to have you on. I've actually, uh, I've always been a fan of your style, so it's nice to come on. Um, so LinkedIn is always the best place to reach me, but I can also I'm available for email at uh, Eric at RankingEconomist.com. So if anybody wants to shoot me an email. Thank you again for joining us, sir. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much, Have a great day. Stay safe. From the creator of Politics Weekly comes a new entertainment podcast examining the biggest new movies available to watch from the comfort of your own home. Home Video Review. New episodes of Home Video Review every Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.